All right, everybody, greetings. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast and YouTube video. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we, as always, are sponsored by Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. And we are on episode 113, which is actually pretty hard for me to believe, uh, but it's been a fun run. So 113, a couple of quick announcements before we get into this deal. Uh, January 26th is our next Play and Learn. So for 60 bucks, you can come in, you play hands with some other great players uh, for six hours or as much as you can make, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. For 60 bucks, you play, and then after every hand, we flip over our cards, we talk about the hand, and we've got the fantastic young player Matt Hamilton, uh, who recently went back-to-back in the Running Aces double stacks. Uh, he's going to be there for all six hours uh, giving insight. So if, if you're interested in that, check that out. If 60 bucks is too much or if you just want to come in and hang out, uh, for 20 bucks you can come in, you can just observe all the action, join in on the discussion, you're just not actually playing the hand. So check out recpokertraining.com for that. Also, uh, Monday nights we had our first uh, our first one, now we got our second one coming up here, uh, just free weekly discussions. So uh, if you just like to talk poker and you don't really have that community of people to do that with, 8 to 9.30 p.m. every Monday night, it's free. You just got to register at the website uh, and just join the discussion. Uh, you, you can join, you can talk as much as you want or as little as you want, uh, but there'll be plenty of us chatting away on that deal. And then the last announcement I want to make is just a big thank you to our latest Patreon supporter, Taylor Moss. Uh, you hear him quite a bit on the podcast, but Taylor is now supporting us on Patreon. So Taylor, thanks so much for that. So uh, with this new format, which has gotten rave reviews, uh, I'm really excited about this. We've got our standing rec player panel. And so far, uh, we're joined tonight by Derek Smith, Rob Washam, Stacey Nelson, and we might have a couple of others uh, joining as we go. Uh, but we have our, our rotating expert this week is Sky Matsuhashi. Uh, Sky hosts the Smart Poker Study podcast. He runs smartpokerstudy.com. And the website uh, describes himself as dedicated to making you a better poker player today than you were yesterday through podcasts, books, training videos, and webinars with proven, simple, and effective play and study strategies. And for those of you who are following the podcast, you'll, you'll recognize Sky because about a month ago, uh, we did a full interview of each other on each other's podcast. And I just had such a great time. I just loved his energy. I loved the way he thought about the game. And I said, man, let's get this guy on here again. And so that's why we've asked him to come in and, and join this on a rotating basis. So Sky, uh, with that long intro, welcome once again to the Rec Boker Podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I appreciate it. And we're excited to, to learn from you and talk, talk strategy with you. So why don't we, you know, if you want to know more about Sky, you know, check him out on the website, but also go back and listen to that uh, extended interview. But for today, let's Let's get into this. And you brought with you a, a hand to discuss with our, our panel here. Yes, I did. I brought with you, or I, I brought to the, I guess I brought to the panel a hand where I faced off against a very loose, aggressive player. And uh, playing against loose, aggressive players is something that I've been, for myself, really been focusing on because I play a lot on America's card room. And if you play on ACR at the 10 NL, 25 NL, 50 NL level, there are tons of loose aggressive players. You're surrounded by them. So the more practice you do against them and just the more studying of these types of hands, the better off you're going to be. So we could just dive right into the hand. Let me share my screen with you. So let me, right. let me ask you this quick, quick, mm -hmm. uh, Sky. Well, just, this is kind of how we operate, just kind of interject questions. Uh, so when you say a leg player, like for, for you, you play a lot online. So do you just see that right away based on their stats? Or, you know, how does that translate to a live game? You know, how long do you have to play with somebody before you start saying, man, this is a leg type of player? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can really see loose aggressive tendencies right away within 10 or even 20 hands. If you see somebody has their their V pipping or voluntarily putting money into the pot 40% or greater, even in just 20 hands, that's three rounds at a six max table. If they're putting it that putting it in that often, yeah, they could be dealt just a crazy string of good cards, ace, king, pocket queens, jacks, you know, and stuff like that and having the opportunity to raise. But most likely right away, they are uh, just a loose aggressive player, even in 20 hands. And loose aggressive basically means they are loose. So they play a ton of hands and they're aggressive. So they play them aggressively. They're not doing a lot of checking and calling. Uh, Pre-flop, they're doing two betting and three betting, isolating players. Post-flop, they're doing a lot of C bets, check raises, donk bets, and that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yep. Sure thing. And when it comes to the live realm, um, you could tell a loose aggressive player probably because they're just playing more hands than everyone else and they're constantly raising and you'll hear people in the blinds grumbling, oh, he's tackling my blinds again. He's raising my blinds again. I'm getting three bet by this guy again. So live, that's how you know somebody's a loose aggressive for sure. So can you see my screen? Yes. All right, cool beans. So this hand right here, my name, my screen name is Wacky Wan. I've got the pocket tens. <laughs> in the okay, cutoff. there's got to be a story there, but I'll, I'll let it go. Oh, yeah. Well, I just, I don't, it, the name just came to me. Um, I wanted something that would throw people off. They wouldn't know who I am or what I'm about or anything. And Wacky Wan just seemed like a fun name okay. uh, just, just to use, you know? And so right. yeah, that's why uh, that, that's where that name came from. Like Wacky One, like W or O-N-E, but Wan instead. Right. Okay. The loose aggressive player that we're up against is right here. His name is Kyatic. Actually, let me see if I can uh, maximize this to give you a better view. How does that look? Perfect. Okay, sweet. Just moving the HUD around, you know? Yeah, yeah, you do that. yeah, they're perfect. So for the panel, how many of you, I know that you guys are big time live players, but how many of you actually play online? I play very little. Yeah, Stacy, very little. Play. Rob plays a bit. I play micro, one, one cent, two cent. Okay, good, good. And Derek? I do not anymore. I did previous to uh, Black Friday, but I, I have not ventured back. I got you. I got yeah, you. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully Taylor can join us tonight. He, I know he was hoping to be able to join us. He, he plays a lot online, almost exclusively. So hopefully if Taylor jumps on, he can, he can talk with you about this. Great, great. So yeah. this hand right here, I've been in this session. You can see I've played 94 hands this session. My stats are 7-5, VPIP and PFR. That's a super nitty player. I'm not playing many hands at all, uh, only 7% of hands. I mean, that's basically like pocket nines are better and ace jack are better. You know, it's, it's a very, very small range. But uh, I, I believe I was playing this way because look at all these loose aggressives, 30 slash 26, which means he plays 30% of hands, raises 26%, pretty darn aggressive. Hmm. 23, 12, a semi-loose aggressive player, another lag, another lag, and another lag right here. So I was surrounded by lags, and one of my strategies at any table I sit at is to kind of play opposite of everyone else. If everyone else is nitty, I'm coming in with a ton of raises and a ton of steals, doing a lot of C-betting and double-barreling post-flop because the way they're playing, they're doing a lot of folding. I'm going to come in with a lot of raising, right? If everyone is super loose passive and they're calling with really weak ranges and they're calling C bets uh, too frequently, I'm going to be basically just value betting everything. So on this table, full of lags, I'm playing a super nitty game right here. And what do you what do you see generally happen when there's a table like this where you have five legs? What do you, what do you see happen with the legs? I mean, does it end up just being like this? chaos fest or do you end up seeing a couple people being able to impose their will on others what's sort of the dynamic among the legs when there's a bunch of them at a table 
When there's a bunch of them at the table, you do see a lot of two betting, three betting, and then four betting preflop and a lot of C bets and check races and stuff. And you often see some players, the better lag, the better loose aggressive players actually building stacks, right? Like home tiger, I have his, I have the HUD outlined in blue. That means he's a loose aggressive player, but a reg, like a good player. And I could just kind of tell by the way they play, looking at my database, seeing that he is a winner over like these 3000 hands I have on him. That's how I know the orange colors are just your straight up loose, aggressive players. And they're often just, they just spew chips around, you know? So you're going to see for me, my orange colored players, they're often spewing chips. Sometimes if they're getting good cards, they can build big stacks because everyone knows their lag when they're hitting those sets and those two pair hands, you call kind of unbelievingly, you know, you just, I don't believe you have anything I'm going to call. So those are the kind of the dynamics of the tables. Now, quite often when I'm at a table like this, full of loose aggressives, I often just leave the table just because I don't want to try to fight fire with fire. And I often get frustrated if my three bets are getting, I'm sorry, if my two bets are getting three bet a lot, but for whatever reason on this day, uh, a few months ago, I decided to stay and hit the table, but you could see, I really adjusted my range and I'm playing <laughs> really nitty because of that. Okay. All right. So let's get to the hand. All right. So first two players folded. I've got the pocket tens and great hand. So I come in for a pot size raise right here. One of the reasons for a pot size raise is to discourage a lot of three bets. As you can see, if you can tell, three bet at 7%, three bet at nine, three bet at 15 right here. These players like to three bet. They're aggressive. Using the bigger sizes often uh, discourages the three bets from them. Well, when you say a pot size raise, because so a raise is just blind to 10 and 25, right? Yeah, yeah. So a pot size, you know, if uh, a pot size would be like if I called 25 cents and then I put out, raise it, the rest of it. So it'd be 25 plus 60 cents, so 85 cents total. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a pot size, which is normally uh, three and a half big blinds, but because the small blind isn't exactly one half, you know, it's it's a little different. It's right. not exactly three and a half big blinds. Have you guys heard that described before? I guess that's a that's a new term. I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of things. I've never heard like a, you know, a preflop open uh, referred to as a pot size bet or raise. Have you guys heard that before? Uh, in a pot limit Omaha game, that's the way it works. Where you just bet pot. Okay. When you've got pot, it's not really the, just the blinds. It's what if you would raise and then what would the pot be then? Okay. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for explaining that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. All righty. So getting to the hand, uh, we raise pots, uh, you know, raise pot or a pot size bet, <laughs> I mean to say. I got, I got y'all messed up now. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Kyatic decides to just call. Now, before we get to the rest of the action, this stat right here is the preflop uh, call two bet stat. Um, so I'm always looking at this. He calls 30% of the time in general. Now, when it call two bet on the button, let's see if this stat pops up right here. Um, sometimes my computer runs a little slow, so it'll take a sec. But I always try to get a gauge of what range my opponent is calling with when they do call me. And uh, at a total call of 30%, and it's not popping up, we'll just get out of that. I'm going to put him on roughly a 30% range, but he likely doesn't have jacks or better or ace king or even ace queen or better because this player likes to three bet for sure. So got a really wide calling range. Let's see what the other action is. And then a fold and a fold. So before we get to the flop, um, I always keep notes on my opponents. Now, I don't know if you guys can see it in the stream right here, but it says this, these are prior notes I've made on him. He is a maniac. And I tell myself, just wait for spew right there. <laughs> when I have a note all in caps, it's telling me what to do, right? Can you move it just a little bit to the left? We got our pictures kind of in the way. 
Oh yeah. Left. If you don't okay. want, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yep. Okay, cool. Okay. So he is a maniac and I tell myself, just wait for a spew because this player is able to spew. And then down here, check for max value because this player loves to bet when they get checked to. Hmm. So knowing that, and I have a really good hand right here against a very wide range. This is a pretty decent money-making spot, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, the two folds out of the blinds. The flop comes down jack, nine, deuce. Now, I do have second pair. It's not the best of hands. But I really think at this point that I am far ahead of my opponent's range, especially their spewing, bluffing kind of range. So like, uh, like you saw in that one note, I said, you know, check for value. So what do I do? I go ahead and check. I'm, led, I'm giving him the opportunity to hang himself, which he thankfully does. He bets three-quarter pot right here. Now, at this point, I could come in for the raise, but that just might discourage him. He likes betting. I'm going to let him spew at this point. And my guess, too, I've seen Kyatic quite often spew off chips, spew off a whole stack, buy in again, and then spew off some more. It's very possible that he's been doing a lot of spewing in this session right now, and maybe I'm just capitalizing on his tilting, angry, upset nature right now, possibly. I'd have to go back and actually, you know, try to find video of me playing this to really figure it out, if he is tilting or not, you know? So so before we go to the next, next uh, step, mm -hmm. so... Obviously, you have to reassess with the turn and reassess with the river, uh, depending on what co what comes and what you think the range is and such. But as it stands right here, you're checking for value. Obviously, they could have a jack, but you're saying based on the entire range, uh, he's probably going to bet any two cards that he called preflop with. Is kind of your thought. So yes. as you're as you're thinking about this, are you going in with the idea of I'm pretty much planning on check calling, flop, turn, and river unless something comes up that scares me. Or are you taking it one, you know, one step at a time, just the flop and let's reevaluate the turn again? Kind of what's your what's your mindset here? Obviously, you're, you're playing on check calling the flop, but are you already thinking about turn and river at this point and what's going through your mind? Yes, definitely. So I am thinking about the turn and river. And when I look at this board, there's really nothing too scary unless he does have a random jack 10, jack queen kind of a hand. I'm not scared at all because it's a pretty dry board. If it was Jack nine, eight Jack um, or queen Jack nine, stuff like that, I would be a little bit more uh, cautious and I might check raise here to really charge any kind of draws he could potentially have. Um, but it's a pretty dry board. I'm not scared at all. I really don't want to see an ace, a king or a queen on the next turn or on the turn. Um, but I'm willing to take my chance and just check call. And sometimes I found that that's kind of what you have to do with players who are too loose aggressive and too willing to spew their chips. You've just got to kind of hold on to your, you know, uh, what, what do they say? Throwing the chips, hold on to your button and, and hope you win, <laughs> you know? Um, but you do want to pay attention. He's betting three quarter pot. Now I know that this player, he does frequently make two thirds, three quarter and full pot size bets as bluffs. So, the, the size of this bet looks like he's going for value. And if I didn't have pocket tens, if I just had a random ace five, I'm probably folding here. There's no point. Or I could try to check raise as a bluff, you know, but I'm definitely not going to call with a non-value hand in this spot. And you're, the software that you're using, um, obviously he was not the preflop raiser, so you're not really looking for like a CBEC continuation, but is there any sort of information that it gives you on this situation where he just flatted pre and then you know, gets checked too. I mean, how, is there any, is there any stats that actually help you in this situation? Say how often is he, is he C betting here or is he betting uh, flop? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this stat is my fold to flop C bet. Can you guys see that? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. It says he folds 53% of the time. 
Now, when I click on it, these are this is a custom HUD that I created and a custom pop-up right here. When he is in position, he floats 45% of the time. Now, a float basically means you bet when the uh, preflop razor checks to you and you have position. That's how Poker Tracker 4 um, defines a float. So five times out of 11, 45% of the time, this guy likes to float when the C-better checks instead. So it's pretty indicative that he likes to bluff. I mean, nobody has a hand good enough to bloat the pot 45% of the time. He's not doing all the time for value, you know. Um, most likely between 10 and 15%, a float at 10 to 15% would be for value. 45% full of bluffs. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Sky, I wanted to ask quick too, because I had I saw that you had some notes um, about his tendency to bet as much as a pot bet. Um, so was the 75% does that did you feel like that tips the scales a little bit more would you have expected if he did have a strong value hand here flop two pair something like that um that that sizing might have been actually bigger where i know some players will size it down a little bit because they want to get called but obviously him being a lag and probably trying to you know disguise it did the 75% tip your kind of tip you to thinking that you definitely still are good here no, it didn't. Either way, he could be doing this for value with a top pair hand or as a bluff. Either way, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep, yep. All righty. So he made the three-quarter pot bet. And, of course, I decided to just call string him along, along, give him the opportunity to bluff on a future street on a good turn card for me. And I think – oh, sorry, sorry. So I want to interrupt you there again, too. So it's kind of a similar question from what I asked you before, but different. I mean, a lot of players would say – a lot of us recreational players, me included, might say, I'm going to just call here with my 10s because I think I'm good and I'm trying to control the size of the pot. I don't want to play a big pot. It sounds like your perspective is more, I'm just calling here because I want to give them, continue to give them rope because I'm good so much of the time. And yes. you, actually, you actually are okay playing a big pot here. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, not a super big pot. I right. kind of don't want to go for the full $25. I start off with a hundred big blind stack. I really don't want to play for that with an under pair, right. but against the player I'm up against, sometimes you just, you have to go with your read right there. And assuming the board doesn't get too ugly, I can continue checking and calling for yeah, sure. But, but it's not so much to check for, for pot control to check for value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, okay. Good. Um, if I wanted a pot control, I might decide instead to lead out lead out's not the right word, to see bet out of position for like two thirds pot. And then hopefully he just calls. And then so I'm keeping the pot relatively small, but I'm kind of in charge of it because I'm continuing with the C betting. You know, I'm continuing mm -hmm. with my, uh, with my pre-flop action. Okay. All right. So the six comes, as you can see, it doesn't change anything. The only thing that he improved with is some weird nine, six, two pair, Jack six, two pair, pocket sixes. There's not really much. So I'm not scared on this card at all. Um, so I'm going to give him the opportunity to barrel. Now, I don't think there's a double float stat, but if you see C bet 73 and then C bet 87 on the turn, he double barrels 87% of the time. This is the kind of player that does not mind at all <laughs> putting in the double barrel. So okay. on a card that doesn't scare me, if I was good on the flop, I'm good now on the turn, I'm checking again. So. There's the check. And then 383, I think that's a 75% once again. So a three-quarter pot didn't change it, didn't increase it trying to get max value, didn't decrease it to make his bluff uh, less costly. He's the kind of guy that, to me, I think that he's just overly aggressive and he's not super creative in his bet sizings or anything. So I'm just viewing this once again as if I'm good on the flop, three-quarters again, I'm still good on the turn. So I make the call right there. Any questions about that?
No. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. And I'm curious, sort of the. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to get get the paradigm here too of you know at what point are you ever trying to end it? Because I think a lot of players now at this point would say, okay, you know, I, big hand pre flop. Um, I got the flop. You know, I check for value on the flop. I check for value on the turn. You know, maybe it's time to just end the end the shenanigans here. Uh, the second heart popped out in the turn. You know, now seven eight is sort of in the mix with some things. Ten eight is kind of always open ended. I mean, you know, the, the, I think there's some perspectives that would say. Let, let's just end this thing now and really put him to the test and see where he's at. So I'm like kind of curious what, what people call betting for protection, right? Or yeah, raise, yeah. check raising for it's protection. Check, check raising for protection is really what, you know, what I've heard people say there because now it's getting a little dicey. Now I'm starting to get a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of curious your, your thoughts on that versus uh, I probably again in this fight, you're just saying, Nope, I just want to keep giving him rope. And if, you know, he, there's a chance he could hit on the river. There's always a chance he could hit on the river with this queen. Uh, but I'm willing to take that chance. Kind of walk me through that or the pros and cons from your perspective of this, you know, check raise for protection, ending the hand sort of paradigm. Yeah, that's that's not a bad play at all, especially if you do think that he could have a queen 10 right here, a couple of hearts, an ace or a king or a queen if that overcard comes. There are a lot of things to bet for value. And if he does call and hit, so be it, he does. But the thing is, um, knowing this player, if I check raise here, I am building the pot in a spot that he he could fold if I totally have him beat and I'm missing out on all future value, right? If he just has a queen four for whatever reason, queen right. four suited of spades that he called pre-flop, right? That's totally possible he's folding that. I'm not getting any extra value out of him. But if he does have the seven, eight, like you said, or a couple of hearts, my check raise is probably not going to get him to fold. This is the kind of player that loves hitting big hands. That, that's why he plays so much. He loves pushing people off of pots, love playing big pots, love playing a ton of hands. He's not going to fold a seven, eight or a couple of hearts to my bet at all, right? I mean, you can consider it I'm getting maximum value out of like a king five of hearts right here. Um, because if he doesn't hit, I've got that extra value on the turn. But... That kind of the idea for not check raising goes back to your prior idea on the flop of kind of pot controlling by just checking and calling right here. I'm keeping the pot small. I'm giving myself more options on the river in case things do get ugly. If I do decide to check raise here, let's just say 383 is close to a four dollar bet. I'm probably making my raise eight or ten dollars. At that point, the pot is going to be so big. If that river does come a heart, but it's not an overcard heart, I might feel forced to check and then call his bet because and, I only have to right. be right like 25% of the time possibly. You know what I mean? And it'll be all in on the river too if he bets. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I might be forced to check in a call because of the pot size if I bloat it right now. Or I can keep the pot small, give myself more options, and yet still open the possibility of getting some river value out of him. Okay. And so so when you decide to just check call here, I'm I'm curious if, if you think this way or even you're looking back, is there any river card that could come that you're folding? I mean, once you've kind of established that, you know, you're ahead here most of the time, you know, even if a queen, king, or ace come, are you still in check call mode or do you really think that's, you know what I mean? Like if, if you can put him on such a wide range, playing it where he's, you know, he's, uh, he's betting the turn 87% of the time in this sort of situation where he's double barreling, I mean, is there is there a river card that could have come in this spot that you would probably fold to? Probably an overcard heart. 
ace, king, or queen okay. of hearts. And that is only three cards, but potentially a queen because that does complete some draws. So does an eight or a seven complete some draws as well. And I might just check. And if he does decide to shove and I have the rest of my $19 at risk, I might just choose to fold right there. Um, so, so it becomes a, so in that situation where it's a scare card for you, it becomes a bet sizing issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if, it would be a bet sizing issue. If he, on, on an overcard heart, uh, I'm probably still going to call the three-quarter pot bet because I'm figuring that he is bluffing a huge part of his range. And if you look at this final stat right here, 42%, he bets rivers 42% of the time. Anybody who bets 42% of the time, right. they actually, they either get to the river with a very small and strong range. But as we already see, right. he bets so often, he doesn't get to the river with small ranges. He gets there with wide ranges. And if he's still betting 42%, he's a, <laughs> a spewtard, you know? Yeah, so I'm calling quite a few rivers here in this okay. instance. Yep. Cool. Any other questions, guys? No? Cool beans. All right. So the seven comes right here. It didn't complete any kind of flush draw, which is good. Um, it may be completed a two-pair, nine-seven, runner-runner, six-seven, um, eight-ten completed for the straight. But really, it's not a scare card at all. I know that he loves to bet right here. So I go ahead, and if I was good on the flop, good on the turn, I'm most likely good on the river. Because it's not really – it's not like a, a four to a straight. It's not like six-seven, nine-ten right. is on the board where he just needs an eight. He still needs two cards to get an eight. He also needs two cards to have a better – or have a two-pair hand. And he also needs – a jack that he could have hit and there's only three jacks left. I think I'm good here. So I check and he makes what is a pretty darn scary bet. Now, <laughs> this is one of the times when uh, I can tell you when I played this hand, I did what I said earlier. I just held onto my butt and I clicked the call button because there's a very good chance because I know he likes bluffing. And at this point, if he's going for value and if I'm willing to call 12 bucks, wouldn't I be willing to call the full $18? Most likely, right? So if he did have an 8, 10, 2 pair and I called him the whole way, he's probably just going to go for max value and shove. If he's trying to go for some thin value, he all of a sudden hit a river 2 pair, 9, 7. He might actually make it like 6 or $8 or even just continue with a three-quarter pot bet in order to get me to call for value. This bet being exactly pot felt like, you know, three-quarter pot, three-quarter pot, then pot, he's trying to bluff me. So I just I just held on and I clicked the call button and uh, ended up being right right there. He had the ace eight offsuit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it ended up working out well. And it's just one of those times, sometimes against the loose aggressive players, you just have to let them bluff you, especially a player like this who you know is capable. Now, this guy, Dogstar Dude, his stats are 50 slash 34. Looking very loose aggressive, but it's only 35 hands. I don't really know that he's capable of triple barreling. Um, or floating every street, you know? So this guy, I know what he's about. I took the chance. I went with my read. That's really good. So as, as you're thinking about this, how much are you thinking in terms of um, percentages or actually defining ranges and, and all that stuff? I mean, sometimes you break down hands and there's so much information that you could process. And maybe some people like yourself are able to process, you know, here's, here's the exact range that I have on, you know, any, any middle ace, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, or are you generally, I mean, you have the stats here, which helps, but are you generally just thinking, well, I know he bluffs a lot in this spot. I know he's going to see bet a lot in this spot. I'm ahead of a, you know, I'm ahead of the range that's, you know, very wide there. I mean, are you, are you thinking in general terms or are you actually doing some sort of deeper analytics on that? 
I try to do deeper analytics and I try to put them on a range pre-flop and kind of narrow it through the streets. And that's what I do like when I'm doing off the felt hand reading and I use a program like Flopzilla or Equilab. I'm really looking at ranges and trying to narrow it down and trying to figure it out, right? All of that off the felt work helps to give me an intuition for on the felt. Um, In my head at this time, I really doubt ace eight was like, oh, he could have ace eight here. I can see that. And I call that. I really doubt that happened. My mind, it doesn't process ranges like that. All the work that I do, I do hand reading practice every single day off the felt. And I really feel that that's helped me just, like I said, develop an intuition for it. And then so I'm looking at patterns and the patterns for this player are he loves to bet and I have a value hand. So I'm going to call. I can beat a lot of his bluffing hands right there. So it is a lot of general stuff, but at the same time, I'm looking player specific and I'm looking for ways to exploit the opponents I'm up against. Okay. And that's, that's really good. Okay. And so now uh, if we can't kind of translating this to the live game where you don't have, you know, you're not looking at uh, whatever, 73, 87, 42, uh, you just, you just have this perception that he's a leg player. When, when you're doing that, if you're kind of labeling him as a leg player. So in your mind, you sort of have these HUD stats kind of running through your head. Like you're kind of picturing like this is probably a guy who is, you know, really way too high flop turn river. So that, or how do you, how do you translate this to the live game where you don't have all of this amazing information? I'm an analytic and I don't play, I don't play online. I'm looking at this. I'm going, Oh my gosh, this looks so fun. Um, but I don't have all these numbers in front of me. I'm playing live game. How do you translate that? Do you, do you kind of think in terms of the numbers and say, this is kind of the equivalent or what, how do you do that? Um, I don't really think in terms of the numbers. I think about the player type and what, with my online experience, what those online players of the same type, how they approach different flops, turns, and rivers. And I also try to pay attention live to as many showdown hands as possible. So, Kayatic right here, if this hand happened at the beginning of the tournament and I saw that he called a raise preflop and then triple barrel bluffed with an ace high, I'm going to remember that forever on mm-hmm. this player. Now, in a tournament, I might never see him again. He might have been knocked out in this hand um, for triple barrel bluffing. But at least I know now that there are loose aggressive players alive who are capable of making these plays. So I'm taking I, – I, everybody – okay, I have an Evernote um, file in my phone, and I have seats 1 through 10 on it. As I'm playing, wherever they are on the table, I will put lag, tag, LP, knit, fish, whatever type of player I think they are. And I try to respond to them and act accordingly to the player type that I see them as. And at the same time, like I said, I try to look at their showdown hands to get an idea of the kind of stuff that they're capable of doing. And then because I don't have those HUD stats and the numbers aren't running through my mind when I'm playing live, um, I just do the best I can with the information that I know in ways that I know to exploit these types of players. That's really good. Guys, any, any questions? Yes, guy. Can I go back to uh, Dog Star Dude? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, it looks like his seabed uh, is seventy-five percent. Is that correct? One hundred and one hundred after that. Yes, it is. But he, we only played thirty-five hands with him. So my guess is that seabed of seventy-five is three out of four, and the the turn double barrel is one out of one, and the bet is probably one out of one. So let's see. His river bet it says two out of two. So in two instances where he had the opportunity to bet the river, he bet twice. Um, let me see. Oh, double barreling three out of three and then C betting three out of four. So yeah, even over 35 hands, as you can see, he's a pretty darn loose, aggressive player post flop as well. So you can put at least a little bit of stock into these, um, 
but I, I really, I don't think I would call a three quarter, three quarter and then a full pot size bet against dog star dude. I just don't know enough about him to know that he's capable of spew because in these 35 hands, he could have been dealt pocket aces, pocket Kings, pocket Queens. And that's how we played those really strong hands. You know, I just don't know enough yet. At about what a hundred hands, do you start putting a little more stock or a, more like a 500 hands or where do you really kind of put some weight into it? 100 is where it really starts to begin. Um, for all of the most simple stats, like for example, VPIP, PFR, fold to steal, um, three bet, as well as C bet the flop and fold to C bet, at 100 hands, you're pretty good there. And then it really starts at 300 and then 500 and anything at 1,000 hands or more. Like Home Tiger, 3,000 hands, I'm pretty darn confident in these numbers. And I make a lot of plays like you could see Home Tiger, C bet 70% on the flop and only 56 on the turn. So he's pretty turn honest, not super turn honest, but quite a bit. So if I'm going to, uh, if I don't have a value hand, but I don't want to fold, I might see an opportunity to call his flop C-bet, especially in position. And as soon as he checks the turn, I make a bet to take it away. Okay. Now, yeah. if you want to transfer that to tournament poker live, at what point would a read on a guy make you actually adjust your, your play? After you've, you've seen him, say you, you watched three hands and you've watched what he, he had to open, let's say he made it all the way to showdown and showed three different hands and you kind of got a read. Would that be enough? In, totally. In That's enough for me because um, I, I really try to play exploitative poker. I'm not a big fan of, I'm sure you guys heard of GTO if you haven't studied game theory optimal stuff. Um, I'm a fan of exploitative play. I like to see a person and see what they're capable of and then now I'm going to respond accordingly. Now, they might think that, hey, that guy just saw what I did, so let me change up my play. And if they do that, good on them. They're going to screw me over, you know, but <laughs> so be it. I like to exploit their tendencies. So even after three hands, three showdown hands, where I saw that they opened the pot with ace-eight offsuit, jack-10 offsuit, and then pocket deuces, they have a pretty wide range to open the pot. I'm going to try to respond accordingly. Okay. Yep. Hey, Sky, can I sneak in a quick question, too? Um, the video replayer, I don't know whether this is correct or not, but is the the timing of your calls on his flop and turn bet, uh, is that accurate that you were that quick or does it speed that? Like if you had sat and thought for five minutes, does it show that? No, it doesn't. Um, so no, it doesn't show that at all. Uh, every Every one of these actions, as soon as I just hit the arrow to the right, it just pops it up. Okay. And then that video that I sent you earlier, I don't know if Steve's going to include the, a link to the video in the show notes for this. But if you watch that, that's specifically timed, I think, for one and a half seconds between actions. Okay. The only way to get timing tells when you're playing online is to record game tape. Um, so, you know, like screen screen recording software like we're using now for this conference call. Um, you have to record it and then watch it later to see timing. Tests. I was just curious if he may have taken note, if you quickly called both the flop and the turn bet, because the river bet being a full pot size bet again, maybe not exactly specific to this player because you seem to know him so well, but a lag in general, the size up on the river, if you had called both the flop and the turn bet rather quickly, I wonder if that size up even lends more credence to that. You probably um, have the best hand at this point that they sized up at that point because it does kind of definitely feel like he's just trying to kind of blow you off at that, blow you off the pot at that point. So, yeah, it does feel that way. And and I really I, I don't know if I don't know that loose aggressive players like this are really 
I mean, my guess is everybody's watching the action. He's involved in this hand. He's betting. He's betting. He's probably paying attention to how long I'm taking, but I don't know if he's going to actually read anything into that. Um, sometimes, and that I, I'm really glad you brought this up for timing tells. Sometimes what I like to do when I know a player C bets a ton, um, if I'm out of position, I'll time down on a board like the Jack nine deuce, right? I called them pre-flop from the big blind. I'll time down to make it look like, oh, I have two pair. I have a set. And now what am I going to do? Oh, I'll check. And then when he C bets, I raise and I think they see that timing tell and then they fold the hand. Hmm. So timing tells can work online just like uh, they do live as well. But I just don't know how how the other players around me pay attention to timing tells. I, I do try to watch out for it though. Cool. Any any other questions for Sky? Comments, insights. All right, Sky. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Then tell us a little bit though uh, as we close down. This is, this is great. Thank you. This is exactly what I've envisioned. Let's just come in, talk about a hand, get one of these experts on here and talk about it. So this is fantastic. But uh, as we wrap up, uh, tell people a little bit more about uh, who you are, where they can find your stuff. Give give a go ahead and give a shameless plug. I give you full platform to to plug the Sky Matsuhashi stuff. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And thanks for this time again, this opportunity. Um, If you can type or say the words smart poker study, you can find me anywhere. (laughs) iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, um, uh, Twitter, of course, you know, just at smart poker study, everything smartpokerstudy.com. Smart poker study is the name of the podcast. Um, Smart poker study is the name of the YouTube channel. All of it's right there. Just type in those three words. Even, Even the last time I talked to you, I tried to say start smart study poker. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, so, that might work so, too. I don't know. I haven't tried it. <laughs> the fact that you said if, because you know, not all of us are very linguistic in nature. So smart poker study. Smart poker study. Yeah, or <laughs> Sky Matsuhashi, and that last name Matsuhashi can be a little tough for some people. But you know, I didn't want to give myself some Hollywood screen name or anything. All right. Yeah. Rob, did you did you have some Rob? Well, I was just going to say I've listened to Sky's podcast since day one. Oh. I remember going through, I think you did 30 days of podcasts or something right at the beginning when you were trying to get it going. You remember that, yeah. Yes, I do. I, re- I was listening every single day while you were recording those every single day. So yeah. I've been with you <laughs> since the beginning. Cool beans. You know, that was, it was tough to do. My original plan was I'm going to get seven in the bank and then I'm going to record another one every single day. But then I recorded, I guess, I think I got three episodes in the bank and then I just fell I fell behind and then I had to record them every single day and release them every day it got a little tough but it was worth it because within a month or two months I already have like 35 episodes up and it looks like he's been around forever you know (laughs) yeah Yeah, it was great it was I really enjoy listening to I've listened to every single podcast you've made so far wow great thank you very much Rob (laughs) yeah nice man thank you I appreciate it hey Rob you should show him that uh, SM tattoo you have on your shoulder. Oh, nice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I don't have it on my shoulder. It's in a- <laughs> oh, very nice. All right. Well, Sky, Rob, Stacy, uh, Derek had to drop off. Thanks so much for being on here. Just a, a couple of things that we wrap up. Once again, thanks to Running Aces uh, making this whole thing possible as being our sponsor. Check out recpokertraining.com. Information on everything we're offering, the free weekly discussions, the upcoming play and learn session on January 26th. Uh, You can sign up for our newsletter out there as well. Uh, If you like what you hear, uh, consider giving us a rating and review us on iTunes uh, and subscribe out there. Uh, And also, we'd love to have you join our our, uh, Patreon subscribers as well. So until next week, uh, for the crew here, good luck on the felt. Take care, everybody. 